It's the Auburn Observer Podcast, the midweek edition, the inner circle edition. Justin Ferguson right here in Auburn, Alabama, Painter Sharpless and Parts Unknown. Hello, Painter. Howdy, howdy. Painter, we've got a special guest on today. You know, we talked on our last podcast about just the chaos going on in college football, and we don't really know a ton about it, so we needed to get somebody on who knows a ton about it. And uh, it's a returning champion, probably, and I'm not just saying this because she's on the podcast right now and she can hear me, but like definitely the guest that we have on that is asked about the most, like always the, always the top uh, podcast guest. Uh, I had two different emails this past week being like, y'all need to get Nicole on to talk about this. So it is Nicole Arbach of The Athletic, uh, my, my personal enemy, but everybody else's friend. Hello, Nicole. How are you? It's been a while since we've had a feud. So we need to work on that. Yeah, we need to we need to get on that again. I feel like this. I feel like Big Ten SEC is about to be the big civil war, really. And so I think we I think we're perfect for this for this for this matchup. Okay, that's fair. We'll 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 come up with some talking points after we after we get off. There we go. Um, so we've got Nicole on to talk about just what in the heck happened with the Big Ten and conference realignment. More importantly, what's next and how does this affect the SEC? How's this going to affect Auburn? So, Nicole, right off the top, UCLA and USC, you know, make the move last week. A, did anybody see this coming? And B, why now? Why was this the thing that was happening now compared to maybe closer to when Texas and Oklahoma said they were joining the SEC, maybe later? Like, what what, what was the timeline here? Yeah, I, I was going to say, you know, you're saying, you know, why now? Where's coming from? Do people have an inkling? I mean, it's only been 11 months since Texas and Oklahoma – left the big 12 for the sec so it it can't be as shocking i don't think as that move because that was after a period of relative calm but you know the big 10 didn't make a move immediately the big 10 joined that alliance with the acc and the pac-12 which you know there there were a couple different goals in that and obviously there was not that much tangible you know on the outside certainly on the scheduling front but it was essentially a pack not to to poach each other's members. I mean, if you think about like the uncertainty and anxiety throughout college sports after the Oklahoma and Texas move, they straight up said it was, they were doing it in part to stabilize college sports. Like that Mm -hmm. was part of it. Um, So, you know, it's, it's unexpected from that sense because those three leagues have been working together on a number of things, a number of initiatives, a number of webinars and, and trips and all these different things together so it's definitely pulling out the rug from under a partner. And the Big Ten and the Pac-12 have been legitimate partners in a lot of things. Contractual agreements with the Rose Bowl. I mean, it, it, it devalues the Rose Bowl. Like, there were so many surprising tentacles of, of this decision. And, you know, I was shocked. I, I think the idea of USC and UCLA being unhappy in the Pac-12, certainly USC, that was known. You know, this is something that people have talked about. But... The Big Ten didn't move last year. The Big Ten has been very stable. The Big Ten knew it could be picky. But to do this and for it not to break until it was all but done is pretty shocking. And so it's still only been a few days, still jarring to think about these teams in the Big Ten, see those logos up next to the Big Ten logo. I mean, it's it's all still sinking in, but absolutely shocking, absolutely jarring. Yeah, I— are the motivations for USC and UCLA jump into the Big Ten very similar to what Texas and Oklahoma did coming into the SEC? I, I have read stuff, you know, just kind of uh, through the grapevine about like UCLA being in real uh, financial trouble. Uh, UCLA, and, and yeah, to, 
Yeah. Yeah, UCLA, yeah, yeah. So, okay, so part of, you know, I, I, don't, I don't disagree that financial situations are part of this, but I will say, you know, when people are saying we might have had to cut sports, there's a lot of other areas that you can take money from before you have to do that. That's still a choice. Yeah. And it yeah. was during the pandemic at some of these places that ultimately ended up reinstating sports, but... I will say it was pretty obvious because USC and UCLA, when they announced that they were joining the Big Ten, the two things that jumped out, usually you say a lot of word salad, right? You're being vague. You're just saying, like, <laughs> we're excited about this, but you're trying not to offend the league you're leaving. They straight up said Big Ten's more stable and we're going to have a lot more money and we're going to be able to guarantee, like, the future of certain sports, of sponsoring our sports and being able to compete and keep up at the highest level. Like, they straight up said all of that. And right. That's what this was about because, you know, I had done a, a projections, media rights, revenue projections a couple months ago. So this was obviously before USC and UCLA were even, you know, an idea publicly for the Big Ten to add. So they're not in it. And you still have by the end of the decade, SEC schools and Big Ten schools making $100 million each per year. Right. And the Pac-12, Big 12, ACC, you know, they're like $40 million per school per year behind. That's drastic. So even if, yeah, we could talk about, you know, how dire are the finances UCLA. I mean, they weren't in great shape. Absolutely not. But when you're talking about that type of difference on an annual basis, that's also different kinds of money. That, that's something about, yeah. we're you know, we want to be at the table that decides the future of college sports, and we want to be able to sponsor football and, and men's basketball, women's basketball, and all these sports at the highest level. And we're just not sure what happens when you lag behind two conferences that much by the end of the decade you know how much i like to pick on you about your love for your home state in new jersey but i think the round of jokes when this first came out when it was like ucla's about has to play rutgers in things not just football yep. but just regular things the more i thought about it though were we naive to think that this whole ge geographical thing just didn't really matter, especially after what the Big 12 did when they were like, hey, BYU, UCF, you're in the same conference now. Have fun. Possibly. I mean, they, they also added West Virginia last time, right? And that's been, what, a right. thousand-mile tri thousand trip every time at least for those conference members. Um, I, I think there have been different motivations for different rounds of realignment, and part of the reason that, like, Rutgers and Maryland got added to the Big 10 was for a reason that maybe in 2022 wouldn't be the driving reason for, for realignment because of, you know, just the way that you think about value and TV markets and streaming and eyeballs and, and all these things because of cable. But I think that West Virginia, oh, they, we, we've been taking steps towards a world where this stuff was never going to be the deciding factor. So now mm. you have a conference in the Big Ten that is truly national. It goes from L.A. to New York. LA and New York, big 10 cities. Like this is not just a Midwestern <laughs> conference. So I guess it was only a matter of time that you got to this place where it right. was more like now the big 10 can say they're in LA, New York, DC, Chicago, Detroit, like Indianapolis. Yeah. Like you could say all these things that just kind of sound crazy to think about and would have sounded bizarre 20 years ago, but that's kind of where we are. And we've been moving in this direction and yeah, maybe it was naive not to think about it this way, but moving in this direction towards like an AFC NFC where you have two yep. more professionalized, more um, boring, like more homogenous groupings, yeah. right? Like they're not, they, right. they don't have the regional flair. You don't have, 
you know, all, all the traditions and, and maybe a lot of these, you know, teams we're talking about, it's not like you go into the office and, you know, everyone's went, half of them went to one school, half went to the other and there's bragging rights for the year. Like that, those are the things we love about college sports. This isn't that when you have two mega conferences, if we get to that point of two mega conferences yeah. in the big 10 and the sec. So, you know, we, we've certainly looking back, you can see the tea leaves, you can see where it was headed, but I, I still think, um, it's still, you know, kind of surprising that we actually got here um, and that you did have yeah. a league in the Big Ten that has its roots in the Midwest and had, you know, really valued or cared about like contigu contiguous states um, mm -hmm. now going across time zones. And yeah, I mean, it's like almost a 3000 mile difference between L.A. and Piscataway, New Jersey. You are super plugged into people at the administrative level, the conference level, all throughout college sports. Um, I think there's a billion different opinions about what's going on right here. But I did want to ask you, like, what, what are you feeling about all this? Because I think some of it is like, hey, there's some positives. There's some good, there's some good things that may come out of it. But, man, there's a lot of it where it's like it's either not great or just deeply, deeply weird. And, and I, think that's, I think that's what a lot of people are feeling right now. Yeah, definitely the weird part. Like, keep saying jarring. It's it's weird <laughs> to think about all of this. And it's, it's especially interesting because, you know, they're going to join the Big Ten in 2024. Right now, and we've gone through these reasons for 11 months, like Texas and Oklahoma are not set to join the SEC until 2025. All of these moves that started because they left and went to the SEC – like adding members to the big 12, a lot of the realignment, other levels of division one, all of this has happened in aftermath. And there will be a bunch of departures and moves that happen before Oklahoma and Texas actually yep. start sec play. So that's just weird, right? That's just strange altogether. Um, and again, I, I think, uh, you know, you, you, there's so many different ways that people have been envisioning and talking about like a hypothetical future and, the professionalization of college sports, potential employee employer relationships, like so much has been up in the air and uncertain. And you've had the Supreme court weigh in, you have Congress weighing in and for, for realignment to, to strike and sort of some of this, this reshuffling uh, right on, right ahead of media deals, right? Like this is where the money right. is. This is where things are coming from. It, it's been, different and again I totally understand why people think it's it's not great for college sports because I think the best thing for college sports is like regional balance and this was one of my arguments for playoff expansion was that I don't think it was healthy for the sport of college football to not basically ignore the west coast and to eliminate the Pac-12 teams and then you know obviously to eliminate anyone who had a loss and just sort of the way we talked about it but mm -hmm. I think like dispersing talent, having things balanced, having powers in different parts of the country, all those things I think are good because they, they're not necessarily checks and balances, but they just keep people engaged in different ways in different parts. And it is such a regional sport trying to be national. But I just think there's, there's a different level of interest when it's a regional rivalry or a school you can drive to, or you play them for like a rusted old brown jug, you know, like some of the weird <laughs> stuff, right? And, right. and you're not going to have that, A, when you kind of throw teams into a conference that have never played each other and don't yep. have that history. But I think also just the, the fact that, you know, a lot of these moves require flights versus driving and different things like that. They take away from that. Um, but, you know, I, so I just it's it's not like it's not why we all fell in love with college sports in the first place. 
But I, I guess I also can't be too surprised with the way that things have gone and, you know, just the fact that it's been years since anyone made macro decisions that were sort of like, this is the best for college sports as a whole. I mean, everyone's been mm-hmm. looking out for yeah. themselves, self-preservation, fears about the future, wanting to be at the table for the, to, to, to chart the course of the future. So I can't say I'm surprised that these conferences, two, two power five conferences now in the last year have gone and taken the two flagship programs from another conference. I mean, they're doing what's best for them and their bottom line, their value and for whatever they think the future of college sports might hold. And I guess we can't be surprised that people operated that way because honestly, it's not an overnight move that that's happened in this. And there's just been, you know, just a weakening of, you know, the NCAA and and centralized leadership for some time. And every time there was an opportunity for someone or something to be proactive, they weren't. So I guess, you know, you could, connect all these dotted lines and get to this point where conferences are doing what's best for them, what's best for their bottom line. And that's where we are. So, you know, it's, it's good, bad, whatever it's reality. And, and I just think Mm -hmm. that's where we are. And it's just, it's not going back. It's not going to go back to the folksy regional sports that we loved. Do you have any, and I don't know if you're an optimist or a pessimist when it comes to college football, but do you have any rosy or grim predictions for what this means? I don't. I, I, I can't break predictions on this stuff. I mean, I don't even know what's going to happen two days from now or what's going to happen with the Big 12 going after Pac-12 leftovers, right? Like, I, you know, you just you, you never know. And I've said this for a few months, but I, I feel like if everyone I've talked to, if you had a crystal ball and you could – say, here's what college sports is going to look like in one year, five years, 10 years. People would do it, right? They want to, it's the uncertainty of not knowing like what the model is going to be, right? If you have a legal, if you have a court challenge, a a legal issue, and you end up having to pay athletes as employees, right? Like that changes everything. Some of the stuff Mm -hmm. that's being bandied about from the NCAA's transformation committee about, you know, unlimited staff sizes and, you know, uh, changing the, the scholarship limits on a lot of sports, like a lot of that stuff is then, okay, you have to directly confront the idea of like, what do you value? The questions of where are you spending your money? Where are you spending your resources? Do you care about being nationally competitive in sport X, sport Y? Um, you know, it's like, it's just a lot of hard questions that people are going to have to answer. And it just feels like this is, Again, you, you want to be proactive in conference realignment. You don't want to be the last one standing in a league. You don't want to be yeah. the one that people don't want. And so all of this just feels like there's so much uncertainty about the business model and the future and who gets to decide it and who's going to pay for it that I guess we cannot be surprised that there's so much you know anxiety and distrust are, are permeating all of this and we've had massive turnover at the leadership level so the power five level four new commissioners in the last three years you've also had a lot of new athletic directors university presidents so again like the idea of everyone operating in their own self-interest self-preservation shouldn't be surprising but it feels different also with you know just the way that people are doing this and and again like I I just remember last summer there was a period of like three or four months where no one trusted anyone because (laughs) of the way that the Texas and Oklahoma news came out right that it was so far along by the time anyone was aware and it's the same with USC UCLA like it didn't break it did not become public knowledge until it was a done deal 
that stuff is hard to shake because then there's just always this fear that someone else is better positioning themselves and not telling you and you're going to be left behind and just it's such a strange time and I again I, I think it's everyone is trying to figure out what this thing is going to look like how do you keep the pieces of college sports that are most important to you but everyone knows money is going to be a big part of that and you know big money is going to be a big part of sustaining whatever it is keeping up with whatever the top level of college football is and again if you have to eventually pay athletes as employees at some point you're going to need money so I just think that it makes sense that that's a, a huge motivator, but it also is very different to the way that college sports started, to the way that they were decades ago. I mean, it's not necessarily been a great business model, and it's still not because no. that's not what it's been about. Like pro sports, you know, you're you're trying to maximize profits, you're you're reporting to owners, you're doing all these different things. College sports, a couple of sports you bring in money that kind of funds the whole operation and allows you to sponsor a lot of sports and all the people who work in college sports get into it because they believe in sponsoring women's swimming and volleyball and all these and offering all these scholarships, offering a lot of sports, but the business model doesn't necessarily make sense. So some of this stuff is, is just like that tension of, um, you know, this is what's important to the collegiate model and to, to what everyone cares about, but also this tension of, well, what is going to bring in the most money so that, we can stay afloat or stay afloat if we change or whatever this looks like five years from now. You, you were talking about how no one's making decisions on a macro level. Um, the sec and the big 10 kind of trying to, you know, set themselves up away from the, the rest of the pack. There's been reports about maybe the pac 12 and the ACC or the big 12 and all that. Like, like, Hey, we got to do something here, guys. Um, I, I guess I, I know why not everyone's working together. But in your opinion, as someone who is connected to people in power and college athletics, what would it take for like them to work together and to be like, hey, we need to figure out what's going on? Is that even possible at this point? Or is it just like, a, is, it, is that just a pipe dream? Because we hear all the time, hey, the breakaway, Power 5 is going to split off. And you got to work together to make that happen. <laughs> and no one's doing that. Thank you for saying that. That has been my number one talking point in response to questions about a Power 5 breakaway is – they would have to agree on something major and work together on this. They did not agree if they should play football and when they should play football in 2020. Yep. They did yep. not agree on expanding the playoff last year, despite how much extra money would have come, despite the extra engagement from more parts of the country. Some of the leagues have voted against it, or all of them, you could argue, voted against their self-interest, right? Like, you, you didn't have that. And now you're throwing another wrench in the form of – you know, again, in the Power Five, one of the commissioners just took the other commissioners to crown jewels mm-hmm. ahead of a media rights negotiation, which, again, we had all that happening last year, and there was tension. There was tension. I mean, I covered oh, yeah. oh, all, yeah. all those playoff expansion meetings. Like, there was tension. And then it, it trickled down. Like, the lower levels of, of FBS and, and in Division One. like, they were poaching each other. So it's a very real dynamic that you would have to say, well, what are these folks agreeing on? And they didn't come together to agree on playoff expansion. They didn't come together to agree on how to run a football season in the pandemic. So it is a lot to ask. And, you know, I, I've certainly had people talking about, especially in the last couple of months as Ohio state athletic director, Gene Smith, some other people started saying, you know, let's have football run itself. Maybe the CFP handles rules and, rule violations in football, like maybe, maybe, you know, football, everyone comes together and, and creates this entity. And you still had people saying, yeah, but, but 
these groups of people couldn't agree on other things that were bigger or, um, or smaller, depending on how you view these things. So that's still a major factor. Distrust and like relationships, still a major factor. Again, in the Power Five room, you have a lot of turnover. You have a Big 12 commissioner who just started last week. Actually, I don't think he's technically even started, but he's kind of started. But he did not right. come from college sports. George Klyovkov just get his one-year anniversary. Kevin Warren's, you know, a couple, uh, I want to say three years Jim Phillips, year and a half. I mean, these are new people in this room making decisions. And there's not a lot of people who've been in college sports forever, devoted their lives to it. And again, I'm not saying they're the only ones who could think about like what's the greater good, but it's clear that, you know, when you're hiring outside business folks, like you, you, you don't care about what the enterprise has always looked like or whatever. You want innovative, you want creative, you want new, new revenue models, uh, new revenue streams. So I just think that stuff's going to be really hard moving forward. And again, the CFP, there, there's, there's obviously an, an impetus. They need to get together. They need to agree on a new model for 2026 and on. There's a lot of money at stake, but also just the future, like the postseason, what this is going to look like, what everyone plays for. They're going to come up with something. It doesn't have to be unanimous. There's, they, it's going to work this time. But does that lead to other cooperation in other areas? I don't know. Does it eventually lead to football being able to govern itself from a rules standpoint? You know, there's a lot of – there's pros and cons to that, but there's a lot of reasons to do it and kind of spin it off separately. It's not a full breakaway, but just kind of to manage itself and keep all the other sports together under the NCAA. But I don't know. It does require a lot of cooperation. So that's why I don't make predictions because you just – you don't know how the folks in the room are going to view some of these things – or view working together or trust each other to get them done in the way they need to. Like you said, you don't want to, you don't want to make predictions. I'm not going to, we hate doing predictions as well. This is like actually important stuff you're predicting about, but in light of USC and UCLA going to the big 10, when it comes to the sec, cause you know, we cover an FCC team. What is being said? What's, what's kind of been the reaction from this conference to what's going on potentially elsewhere. Because like you said, they were the ones who kind of got all this started again last year because there's always been talk. Are you going to add more? You're going to add more? I mean, everybody's talking about putting 20-plus teams in these conferences. What's the SEC's reaction to all of this? Again, don't want you to predict the future, but just like what what do they, th- what do they think? They're just going to let, let this be even now? Or is this going to be something where it's like, all right, let's keep accelerating the process? Yeah, I think that's a big question because, like you said, I mean, they, they, they were the aggressive party in the first place. So you don't have to react. Like, this is – we wondered what was the Big Ten going to do to react? What were these other leagues going to do to react to the SEC's move last year? Um, and, and now the SEC, A, has its rights deal with ESPN and ABC. It has its new members. Again, it would lo- I'm sure it would love to have them sooner than 2025, but there's contractual reasons that it's that's the date right now. Um, I, I just think the question becomes, and, and there's lots of people in these leagues outside of them that believe, you know, these, the SEC and the big 10 aren't going to stop at 16. So it's, do you stay at 16? If so, for how long? And then what is the ultimate goal? What are the, what's the number you'd like to get up to? What do you, how do you, how do you envision that? Right. Is it, if you have mm-hmm. two 20 team leagues or 2014 leagues, how do they work? What does that mean? But I, again, I, I don't think anyone's going to stop because I think they know or anyone, no one's going to stop speculating that they'll add. 
because everyone knows these are the two leagues where all the money is. These are the two leagues that are going to really determine what college sports look like moving forward. And they also know that if the SEC or the Big Ten calls anyone or picks up the phone when anyone calls, you really got to probably say yes. You probably got to be, be ready to make that move. And if it's anyone else, I think you weigh it, you, you figure out what your options are on the table. But it just seems like, you know, there's, there's two places that are slam dunk yeses. And that means that you, as the SEC, as the Big Ten, you have a lot of leverage and you can be patient and figure out exactly who you want and why. And I think, you know, we're all going to be talking a lot about this for, for the foreseeable future, but the ACC has this grant of rights that is that runs through the middle of 2030s. So I think it's 2036. And it's tied to their media rights deal, which is a very long deal, kind of depreciates in value because every other league is going to leapfrog them in the meantime. But the grant of rights, those things were implemented after a realignment in around 2010, that, that round, to keep people tethered to each other, to keep people contractually obligated to each other. It's hard to get out of, and I don't even know if you can, but this is what we're all going to be talking about because who makes a lot of sense for the SEC to add if they want to go bigger than 16? It's the Clemsons. It's the Florida States mm-hmm. of the world. It's those teams. Can they get out of that grant of rights? Are there any other way? Or is there a way for the ACC to renegotiate? Because it's stuck in this in this deal that's not good through the 2030s. And, you know, so, there, so there's a lot of questions about, about that. Because, again, if you're the SEC, yeah, there could be targets that are not ACC schools that maybe you, you, you kick the tires on. But don't you think that those would be, if you're going from 16 to 20, 16 to 24, like those schools are, are going to be targets or make a lot yeah. of sense regionally, like logistically, brand-wise, um, football identities, all those things. So I think you got to figure that piece out. And again, like I said, the Big Ten and the SEC can be patient. They know who they want. Uh, you know, the only team anyone, I think, you know, if, if Notre Dame tells Big Ten today, hey, I'm in, Okay, great. You fast track that. You do that immediately. Yeah. I don't know if there's any other schools that you fast track that you do that to. And the SEC, it's the same approach. Like there are, there, there's gonna be time to take a breath and to to reevaluate to figure out how you want to chart this out. And you have to see what happens with this ACC grant of rights and and if there's any way around it, any way to get out of it, any way for those schools to be available before 2036. 2020, Otherwise, I I don't know if there's urgency or I don't know if there's the same. Um, I'm not even going to say that because again, all this stuff is fluid. (laughs) It all changes. But I I just think that there's two conferences that have a luxury right now. They know everybody wants a call from them. Everybody wants an invitation. So you can be really picky and you can see how some of the dominoes fall, you know, in the big 12 or, you know, if the PAC 12 and the ACC do something together, does that trigger something with the ACC grant of rights or their media deal? Does that open up some opportunities? Like, I think you can wait and play some of this out, but you know, also by the time you're listening to this podcast, every, everything could have changed by now. So I, I do stand by just, you know, right this second, I think you have the luxury of patience and you could wait and, and let things play out. But if I'm wrong, by the time you're listening to this, I never said any of that. Yeah, no, it's it's like we're we're gonna release this podcast 14 hours from now. It could, ch- I mean, so much could change, it, it just in the in a short amount of time. And you just, I mean, you made a really good point there about like the SEC and and the Big Ten affording to like play it slow because it's like okay, we would love Clemson, we would love Florida State, we would love Miami. Who's gonna take them? 
like unless the Big Ten gets really aggressive. Right, but no, I that's think the they're kind of both of them, yeah. right? Like the only other one right. you're worried about is the other the other power. You're league. just staring each other down at this point. And <laughs> just being like, so all again, right, who's going to flinch? And again, <laughs> if the ACC schools are not able to get out of the grant of rights right now, then there's not that many schools in that category. It's, it, and, and, and if they are, then, you know, who wants, you know, North Carolina? Like, is the SEC make a play for North Carolina? And then the Big Ten's like, no, that makes way more sense for us. Then the urgency gets amped up. Carolina and Duke, Carolina and Duke are to me the still the most interesting pieces of that. Like if it, this becomes a just take everything, both conferences could really, really want it. Painter, I think you had a question. How, if at all, will this benefit the most important components of this business model, players and fans? Well, I, you know, we were talking about this a bit earlier. I don't, I don't know if fans are going to love any of this stuff. I mean, I think if you're a displaced, you know, if you're a Michigan alum living in LA this is great because now, you know, you get big 10 teams coming through and all that. Right. But, and maybe, you know, it's easier to watch things on TV in different parts of the country or whatever that might look like. Um, but I, I just think in general, if, if you have more league games that are flights versus drivable, it's, it's just not as accessible for fans. Um, you, you don't have those decades of history. Although, you know, maybe in some of these cases, it ultimately leads to rivalries coming back. I mean, like, let's let's game this out. I mean, if the Big 12 ultimately brings back Utah and Colorado, so, you know, they return in Colorado, who used to be in that league, and Utah would be joining BYU and kind of ensuring that the Holy War stays as a conference game. Like, there, there's certain things that – you know, would be good, but I, I think they're all byproducts. They're all side effects. They're not, not priorities. Um, I, again, I think for athletes, <laughs> so obviously this is not going to be great for athletes at USC and UCLA who now have to travel across the country in every sport uh, many times. And so I think, you know, we've really got to stay on these folks about travel, about charters, about how this stuff is being paid for, because, you know, again, I think everyone's talked about this idea of college sports moving more and more towards like a professionalization but then you see something like this play out and and NFL teams don't even do this they don't fly six hours across the country for a conference for a divisional game like the divisions are closer like you're playing teams in your division for a reason so those are things that we as members of the media need to stay on people about about you know what that experience is like for the athletes I think football and basketball like makes sense travel partners stay for a couple days but, you know, what about a volleyball match on a Tuesday night? Like, this is this is going to be something to really stay on. And I think, you know, obviously I try to cover um, all the off-the-field issues to the best of my ability, too, which includes, you know, lawsuits and challenges about athlete, employ- you know, employee rights um, or, you know, all the different fights, NLRB ruling about the rights to – um, to be employees, to, to unionize Congress's involvement in this and specific Congress people, what they're fighting for. So all of that stuff continues onward. And, and I think, you know, probably has a little bit more oomph behind it because they can say, look at what just happened. Like this decision was clearly just made about money. This is about the big business of college sports and the athletes are still not getting a slice. So I, that stuff's all going to continue to happen. And I, I think, you know, if you get to a an employee-employer relationship, if you get to the idea of a revenue share model like the pro sports have with their athletes, then we're talking about a whole different ballgame. But I think in the short term, the, the concerns about travel um, are, are very valid and very real. And I think you've even seen some current players at some of these schools speaking up about it. I, I, if anyone wants to look, like Geo Baker was a basketball player at Rutgers. Yeah. He was talking about this. Um, he's become a very vocal players' rights player. Um, 
folk, you know, activist. And he was talking about that trip. I mean, UCLA to Rutgers is going to be almost 3000 miles and that's a league game and that's going to be in every sport. And so while these conferences are adding full members in these, in every, all of these decisions, the West Virginia and the big 12, all these decisions include every sport and weeknight games. I think you're going to have some real, very real conversations. And I think it's on us to continue to ask about this and to continue to stay on administrators about what this does mean for the athlete experience. Two more quick questions before you go. Number one, like I said, Nicole's on this as as well as anybody you'll find covering it nationally. Um, there's a lot of a lot of stuff going on <laughs> that could change all within the next twelve hours. Uh, but uh, if people want to hear you more, uh, read you more, all covering all this stuff, where do they need to go? Uh, follow me on Twitter at Nicole Auerbach. Um, I'm trying to throw in the occasional, you know, sleep deprived joke. So I'm trying not to be fully yeah. serious all the time. Uh, writing over at The Athletic, talking about stuff on Sirius XM. And come the fall, um, the really big network, the really big 10 network um, for, for TV <laughs> stuff as well. But yeah, mostly The Athletic right now. I think I, you know, I'm biased, but I think we're doing a really good job of kind of covering all the angles and all the leagues, including the group of five and sort of the ripple effect. So so be sure to check that out. Yeah, you, you guys are. And if I'm saying that, you know, it's, it's probably true. Um, last question. I know you haven't had as much time recently, um, but here in this offseason – you have become an avid golfer. Very avid. How's it? Very avid. And I, and I know, I know all this realignment's really taken you away from away from the course. Um, how how how's the how's the golf game these days? Okay, golf game, great. Um, really glad you asked about this. So it is. I'm obsessed. My friends have made this point to me that anytime I you know find a new hobby or something, I really get obsessed with it. Yeah. Probably golf was also like more. I was more likely to for golf anyway because there's like lots of cool new accessories and gadgets and stuff you could get for it. <laughs> right. Right. Um, so yeah, so I've been playing a bunch. I played, I played 18 three times now. Um, there you go. four, uh, four times now. My best, my best was a one Oh nine. I played a kind of, I played my first like nice course, like, yeah. like not a city course this, the, the last couple of days. And, um, it was pretty narrow. Didn't lose a ball and shot a one twelve. So I feel like that was pretty good. Gotten a yeah, few. Not losing a ball is pretty, pretty impressive. Yeah. There's water. There was like, you know, some high brush and, and all that. Um, had a 50 through nine last week. So I was pretty proud about that, even though it was a total meltdown and a sand trap towards the end of that. So yeah, like, I feel like I'm getting better. Um, getting more consistent, definitely obsessed. And yeah, this is what got you into this. I haven't asked you this. Um, so my dad has always said you should golf. Right. Like, you know, okay. it's just like, this will help with business and networking and anything. But I was always intimidated by it. Um, I've gone to the driving range, but I, you know, I would, I, I was like, I don't know what, you, how do you know what club you're supposed to pick up? Like, I, I, I thought everyone was good. So that was my first mistake. That most people are not. Most people are not. <laughs> and especially people at our age are not. And so it was just like, no. it, you know, I had to mentally get through that. But my friend Lauren, she works at the athletic. She picked it up last summer. And we were both kind of like in that wave of people who saw during COVID when stuff was shut down, that people who golfed got to go do something, got to be outside yes. and had an activity. Yes. So it's always like just a little jealous with that. And I honestly was just like, all right, I'm just going to take the plunge. I'm going to take a couple lessons. My editor at the athletic Eric single was like, do it. Just start playing like 
yeah. you know, city courses, par threes. It's fun. Everyone's bad. Take a couple lessons. So you at least like start with like the right mechanics. And I just did. I just did. And then, you know, I took a lesson, really liked it, signed up for another one. And then really the, the turning point was when I just decided to play nine. And I was mm-hmm. like, you know what? Let's just get it over with. Rip the bandaid off. And I realized everyone was bad. Like, I just realized Every, everyone is so bad. Everyone's bad, including like my friend's boyfriend, who is legitimately like pretty good. And he's like, it takes him four shots to get out of the bunker. And I was like, oh, everyone's bad. Everyone's bad. Okay. Like, I can do this. If everyone is bad, even the good people are bad, then this is a sport I can play. It's nice to not be good at it. It's nice to see like development and incremental progress and just have an excuse to drive golf carts, which I always love to do. And now I get to do it and like drink a high noon and, and run around outside. So it's honestly been great. I feel like Yes, I've had the frustrating moments, but I'm still in the, oh, yeah. like, mostly, I think, taking the right approach to this sport phase. Yeah. And I tell people all the time that want to, like, think about playing golf. Like, go watch a tournament. One, because, like, on TV, golf on TV can be really, really fun when it's competitive. And number two, the best players in the world, the people who make millions and millions and millions of dollars do that, they will hit shots sometime pretty regularly if you just watch it. It's like, oh, wow, I could have done that. It's like, yeah, exactly. that's just how the sport is. That's how the sport is. Yeah. And I think that's healthy. Like, that's why I like it. I, right. I like it that, you know, you can never really get too high on yourself because no. then you'll have a disaster of a shot. But I think that's good for all of us. It keeps us humble. We appreciate Nicole Arbeck for joining us. Uh, like I said, she is, on, she is on top of this better than anybody in the business and uh it's you could tell while we were talking to her it's like oh wow she's been doing this for a long 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 time and uh there's like she was saying that at one point when we were getting ready to do the episode like i don't know how long i can stay away from my phone because something might happen so it's like yeah been there been there before and then this is you know this is something that like affects people nationally it's not just a single beat like there's so many moving parts you've got to constantly be on alert it is very funny how seriously she is taken within the industry and she's still willing to come here and let me ask her questions. It's like th- we were the least qu- consequential people on the planet that she could be talking to. Um, but the fact that she does is why she's one of the best. Don't let her know that I said that because it's still it's still a feud out here. I, I, I like the honesty, too, of like no one knows what's going on. Why, why even try? Um, you know, our friend Matt Brown has kind of been on the same wavelength. I think I, I will honestly say this. If you just follow, like, if you want to know what's going on nationally in college football or in general, if you follow Nicole and you follow Matt Brown and you listen to Split Zone Duo, you'll be good. Like, I think I think those are like the big three. I mean, that's just that's what I lean on more than anything. Um, and uh, it's just the honesty, you know. I think people are trying to paint it like some people are very much paid to paint it very rose rosy um about what's going on right now and i don't know i like i like straight shooters i the thing that i kept thinking about and she answered this i think as best as one can like who does this benefit i asked her Uh, because i would say the two most important components of this are the players the people doing the work and the fans the people providing the money the coaches they can be replaced the administrators they can be replaced definitely are like I would be curious 
what the average person's take is on this. Are they excited about it? Because I, I can see a fan base saying, well, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense geographically, but I like the idea of Southern Cal playing uh, whoever in the Big Ten. And I like the idea of Clemson, if, if it comes to fruition, joining the SEC. Like, I can understand how you might find that to be not a bad thing. But I don't yeah. know if that's the response most fans are having when you flip it on its head and go, well, in terms of tradition, um, pageantry, the things that do make college sports, specifically college football, unique, yeah, you might you might not think it's such a hot thing. Yeah, it's the thing, though. It's like not to get SEC elitist over here, but like, you know, yeah, they took Missouri and they took Texas A&M. At one point in time, they took South Carolina and, and Arkansas. It's like... But at least it's kind of stayed relatively normal. Missouri's... I would say Missouri's the only one that's like, hmm. But, like, you can convince yourself pretty clearly that A&M belongs yeah, to the I SEC. Mean, they, they share They're a border. oddities. <laughs> they share a border with Kentucky and Tennessee and Arkansas. They, yeah, it makes sense. But, um, like, if the SEC does expand, like, I, I don't see them just being like, and now we have Boston College. Like, you know, and now... And now, hello, we have... The SEC is delighted to welcome the University of Utah. In, into our fold like i don't think that i think it's going to be like oh we're the big dog we're the powerhouse let's consolidate it let's let, let's say like you know what if you play if you play football in the southern portion of the united states you're ours and come join our our deadly horde like clemson florida state miami any of the other texas schools like I, I think that's more likely than just like doing the pick because the I mean like man the Big Ten the Big Ten's always done that the Big Twelve had to take West Virginia to try to survive and BYU and some of these schools so um, at least I think the SEC I don't want to say they're going about it ethically or the best way like, but I think it's just like you can follow the logic yeah it's a little it's a little better than me like I am going to I'm going to just take a you know I'm going to take a big city. Because that's a you know, and, and Nicole did a good job of pointing that out. It's like, hey, the the Big Ten's like pretty much in every big city in the country outside of really the South at this point, right? Like they're not in like Seattle or the Bay Area, but like man, they hit a, a New York to L.A. and a lot in between. Was it your friend uh, Godfrey though? Didn't he just tweet out uh, something about the USFL numbers that were you know with that Birmingham? team in the championship game or whatever like yeah it's, yeah there is there, I there are think, not the same major cities in the southeast but i think in terms of eyeballs yeah still not still not lacking when he it comes to out, college football he pointed out that there were more people that watched the usfl final the championship game this week and it was a it looks like it's going to happen for another year birmingham was a really good host for it the birmingham team like people rallied behind them which i think was it was a factor Birmingham will watch any sort of football you throw at them, like, period. Especially when, like, you know, wasn't it um, Bo Scarborough was, yeah. like, a key player? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah they were going to they were gonna do that. Um, but he pointed out that there were more people who watched the USL Championship game this past weekend than the Formula One race. And yet, if you follow certain people on Twitter, you would think that Formula One's, like, the biggest thing in the world right now, right? And it's like, I don't get it. I, I really don't. Like, I... I can't get I can't get into it, um, but I have a lot of friends who do who are into it. But then it's like, yeah, we 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 talk about it a lot, and we get accused of it a lot on here, which rightfully so. It's like Twitter, tw- Twitter, twi- Twitter, 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 Twitter is an echo chamber. Like you know, you, you can create <laughs> like the timeline can be your own kind of reality. 
right? Like I have filters and mutes established in place on my Twitter account so that I never have to see, like when people are like, this person liked this tweet or this person replied this or this person follows this person. This is what they said. I have all my, like, it's all muted. Like I, I never say, I, I, it's just literally what I am here to, to get like, so yeah, it is very much kind of its own thing, but yeah, the USFL, I mean like Birmingham, man, the SEC. I mean, we talk about how football is just not to do like the, it just means more kind of thing that the SEC does because I think that's cheesy and, so definitely yeah, marketing. It's just ploy. marketing, but right. I, I, nonetheless, but like yeah, the, the TV ratings kind of show it. Right? You put a football of any kind, this area of the country is gonna gonna turn up for it. Especially like when you compare to like poaching USC and UCLA for your conference, it's like great, good job. Those are big gets. They were coming from a conference that just it's it's just kind of night and day. I mean, there are some pockets, there are some fan bases that are pretty like I. We had Tyson on last week. Like I would say that. Oregon has a rabid fan base, but it is a smaller rabid fan base compared to and and they are the they are kind of the outlier in the Pac-12 um, compared to what you get in the SEC. Like Oregon's had more his, maybe not historic but more recent success uh, as a football program than a South Carolina does. But I would take South Carolina's fan base a hundred times out of a hundred because those jokers are crazy. Like you know that's that's just kind of it's kind of how it is, and so. I think the Big Ten kind of warping things is crazy, but, like, that's going to be interesting to see what happens. I don't think – like, Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC wasn't necessarily this, like, oh, God, they ruined everything kind of moment. Like, yeah, it made things tough for the Big 12, but for, like, for – okay, now Texas and Texas A&M are going to play each other annually, you would think. Oklahoma – and Arkansas and, and like all those the, the South those old Southwest Conference and Big Eighteen like those they're going to cross paths a lot more often. It's going to be better football, you know. You'd rather watch Oklahoma and Texas play in the SEC than honestly than watch them play Iowa State or Kansas State. Like you know, more often than not, that's just kind of how it is. So yeah, it's going to be different and weird. But I at least without becoming a full on. Like I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, be a bootlicker for the SEC at this point, because I, I hate, I would hate to be that at all. Like, yeah, I, it's like the SEC doesn't. This need is all anyone. about money, right? Like, this right. is all about money. This is all in 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 service of TV money, and it's like as you said, not really going to benefit fans that much. Not really going to benefit players at all until things actually change, you know, with with the with the pace set up in in college athletics. But I will say. You know, I'd rather be in a in the boat where how the SEC is just like we're just going to take the powers that are nearest instead of being like let's reach all the way across the country and like I get it from the Big Ten, I get it, but like that's gonna be weird and stupid. Like, it's annoying that Auburn has to play games at Missouri in in a lot of different sports. I know it's a headache. I know it's a pain. I you know Texas A and M is not necessarily an easy place to travel to either. Um, you know, for for a lot of these teams, but like it's not the other side of the country and. I just if that feels like it's just gonna be so so weird and you are ripping teams out like Texas and Oklahoma coming out okay well they get reunited with Texas uh, A&M and it's like yeah they're not gonna play like Oklahoma and Oklahoma State's probably the biggest casualty out of all that right Bedlam which is not even a really good game anymore even though everybody wants you to think it is you know it's it's better than the alternative and so not to say like while well, the SEC is doing this the right way 
it's like uh, at least that scenario seems a lot better than just saying like wow we just need all of the money you're right the sec doesn't need any more cheerleaders or any help no i think they will all be in atlanta in a couple weeks they're Maybe some sort of correlation, though, between what we've talked about in recruiting and how some of these schools are able to build up and maintain the competitive edge that they do. The ability of so many schools, with there being so much talent in the Southeast, I think lends itself to the SEC doing an expansion and being able to keep it more regional. Yeah, it, it'll be a it, it'll be a wild. I think Auburn and the SEC, I think they'll be fine more often than not. I think these things will actually benefit. I just, with the Big Ten is, I, I don't know. And, and whatever happens next with the ACC and whatever happens next with the Big 12 and the Pac-12, it's like, yes, the SEC was the bully in the room and they, they, they started all this. But then it's also like, yeah, well, they win more. You know, they have better football. They have better teams, have more talent. Like That's, that's kind of how, how the sport works. Speaking of uh, getting more talent for your football team, uh, let's talk. We let's talk about uh, Auburn's latest addition in the on the recruiting trail, uh, Carmelo English. This dude, uh, you know, I wrote about him on Wednesday in the in the newsletter. So if you're listening to this, you obviously have access to that as a member of the Inner Circle. Thank you very much for uh, subscribing. We really really appreciate it. But crazy when I when I started digging in, Painter. This is the first time. Again, you gotta you gotta get through you gotta get across the finish line here. George Pickens is a good example of this, but if 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 uh, Carmelo English signs with Auburn here in a few months, it'll be the first time Auburn has gotten the number one wide receiver in the state of Alabama since at least twenty thirteen. In twenty thirteen, as I wrote, Jason Smith uh, was the number one receiver at a high school in the state of Alabama. He was behind Ardarius Stewart, the good Alabama receiver. Stewart was listed as an athlete. He played quarterback in high school like Jason Smith did. So technicality, technicality, Jason Smith didn't qualify out of high school at Auburn, had to go the JUCO route before coming back. If you want to do it that way, you got to go all the way back to Tim Hawthorne in 2006, the last time Auburn has signed the number one receiver in state of Alabama. And Auburn's depth concerns aren't really at wide receiver. They got so many young guys. Um, had a pretty big recruiting class last year at the wide receiver spot. Um, added some young transfers with multiple years of eligibility. You know, you would think they would be fine there numbers wise, but it's it's talent, right? You know, Auburn at wide receiver. You know, especially when you look at the Alabamas, Georgia, definitely Ohio State, some of these powerhouses, Clemson. Auburn has not been able to swing like that at wide receiver, and and they never really have either. Like there have been some really good receivers that have come through Auburn, but need I remind you that the career record holder at Auburn in receiving yards and touchdowns and all that by significant margin is a guy that played in the sixties and seventies and Terry Beasley, like back before back when passing the football that often was still a novelty for the most part. Uh, you know, he, he, um, he still has all these records. So Auburn has never been wide receiver you. And so they've never really, really pulled the, the top dogs at wide receiver in the state. Um, but they do have one in Carmelo English, and uh, really big pickup. I, I've watched this dude play several times um, covering high school football in this area. Um, I have I have folks, I have one uh, person I'm close to that, that works at Central Phoenix City uh, on their football staff. Um, I have others who coach against him. Uh, so there's we've talked a lot about him. It's just really, really good. And, uh, Painter, it's one of those things where it's like, 
I want to know how you kind of feel about this because you watch this dude on film and there's nothing about him where you're just like, oh man, he's going to take, he's just going to completely destroy you. Take over. He's, he's so tall. He's so fast. He can do this, X, Y, Z. But he just does a lot of things really, really well. And it's like one of the highest floor receivers I've ever seen coming out of high school because you watch him play for, for Central. It's like, no, we're just going to feed him the ball as much as we can in a game because that's you, good things happen when he gets the ball in his hands. He's not necessarily a dude that – like he's not Duke. He's not uh, Seth Williams. He's not any of those guys. He's not even Anthony Schwartz in terms of just pure speed. He's just throw the ball at that dude six or seven times a game and your offense is going to be in a really in really good shape. And that's rare coming out of high school. So not the sexiest wide receiver uh, in terms of the, 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 um, the profile of like the skill set, but – Auburn fans get excited about this dude because, like, he's the type of guy that Auburn has desperately needed at that wide receiver spot for a while. Last two commits, putting up gnarly stats, and frankly, I was curious about the relationship between Central Phoenix City and Auburn, given that yeah. it has not been a place that they pull from often, and, you know, the head coach's son just left. Right, exactly, like... Auburn has rarely gotten guys from Central. Um, off the top of my head, the Central guys I can think of during my time covering the team. John Broussard was a Central Phoenix City guy, uh, and he transferred. Jonathan Wallace uh, was Central Phoenix City. I think that's it. I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, there might have been a walk-on or two, but that's it. And, you know, it's Phoenix City, I think, has Central has some of what I think Central Phoenix City has some of what we talk about when you try to recruit Auburn High, when you try to recruit Opelika, when you try to recruit some of these local area guys. It's like, you know, you can make them a priority, and I think Brian Harson and his staff have done a really good job of making local kids a, a priority. You look at Braden Joyner being, you know, the guy leading the way for this this class in terms of being the first one, first commitment in Auburn High School product right now. Um, but it's like, I go back to some of the guys that went elsewhere and not necessarily like the the craziness that was the Reuben Foster decision or, you know, the Rashawn Evans back and forth. Um, but it's like, you know, if you grew up in Auburn or if you, if you've been here for a while, you might want to, you might want your college experience to look and feel different. Right. And so I think Phoenix city, I think guys from Phoenix city being, you know, less than a half an hour away. Like I think there's some of that to it. I think you get some of that. I also think Georgia has always been a place that pulls Phoenix City hard. Um, and then, you know, it helped that Clemson went down and said, hey, Justin Ross, do you know DeAndre Hopkins? Do you know, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, Deion Kane? You know, all these, uh, you know, Sammy Watkins? You know, all these really good receivers? Why don't you come do that? And they did. And they got, they got Ross. And then they ended up getting EJ Williams off of that as well. So it's like that's tough to to compete against if you if you're Auburn, but man, this is a huge win and a huge win that didn't necessarily you know come easily for Auburn because um, as you know the recruiting folks who cover this beat have have, have pointed out and I and I quoted uh, Christian Clemente in the newsletter about this. It's like Auburn was kind of out of it until they got I Killyard, and for a guy that has not coached the, at the college level. Getting a dude who has that NFL experience as both a coach and a player seemed to have worked wonders, and he has been an immediate boost to the room. Like, Auburn may not get another big-time receiver in this class. doesn't seem like that's going to be a huge, huge, like, push for them numbers-wise. But the fact that they got their top in-state guys is 
pretty massive, and it was because of a guy who's brand new to coaching at the college level. That's that's pretty significant. On the heels of two nice pickups in this class, I don't know how they're doing it. It's none of my business, but I will continue to beat this drum. Please cheat. Do what you have to do. Ike Hilliard, love it. Yeah, it's... Look, I mean, Auburn, you know, Auburn doesn't have a lot of commitments right now, right? But the commitments they do have are really, really good. If you look at Auburn's average recruit ranking right now, all these guys are four-star guys, all these guys top 300 recruits, you know, top 25 players that they're given positions. If you took Auburn's class and said if they had this kind of rating, average recruit rating, and you extrapolated it out for an entire full class, that's a top 10 class. Like, this is that's the level they're recruiting at right now. Now, Volume means a ton in terms of rankings. Volume means a ton because you got to have volume, right? You got to you got to fill these scholarships. You got to fill out that roster. Um, you know, Auburn should not be in a position where they get a lot of recruits right now, and just because of what has been said and what has been reported and the vibes and what happened at the end of last season, what happened, like all those things working against Brian Harson and his staff again. Some of it self-inflicted, some of it not. It is what it is, but the reality of the situation is they're able right now to get commitments from really good football players that if they can have a good season this year and build to these numbers, this is the foundation of a really good class. This is the foundation of a class that looks very, it's a whole lot closer, if not the spitting image of what you would expect a good Auburn recruiting class to look like year in and year out, flirting with top 10 level. Like you're not going to be Alabama. You're not going to be Georgia in recruiting. You never really have, but you can get a lot closer to them. And this could be a huge step in the right direction. And getting the number one running back and the number one wide receiver in the state of Alabama is something that Auburn – I don't know if Auburn's ever done that in the in the modern recruiting era. Like, this is really, really um, great work been done by, um, you know, Brian Harson and especially his assistants and, and some of these new guys. It's been a long-held belief between us that – Individual games don't really impact recruits all that often. And even to some extent, a full season, one season doesn't necessarily make or break a player's desire to go to your program. If that were the case, no program could ever have a turnaround. They'd just be stuck in the same cycle. But I I think, as we've pointed out more than once now, our theory on that probably goes out the window this year, given how important the results will be and what kind of indicators we're going to get toward the future for Brian Harson and his staff. Like I, I do think this year more than most, the individual games, the record will matter a ton for who ton. they're able to land and, and, as you say, how they are able to build out this class. Oh, yeah, 100%. You know, I, again, I don't expect we, – we talked about expectations in the last mailbag. We talked about it a little bit in the last podcast. Like, I don't expect Auburn to win nine or ten games this year, but, like, step in the right direction, get people excited – play a brand of football that gets people back on board, play offense that gets people back on board. Those are all tangible and I think realistic goals to have, you know, they're the schedule's so tough and the question marks are so big that it could go South in a hurry. That's just, Hey, welcome to, welcome to being at Auburn. Welcome to being at, you know, in this conference against this schedule with the rivals that you have, you know, X, Y, Z, like this is it. But yeah, I, I think, like, there's going to be a lot of wait and see going on. There's going to be a lot of people being like, hey, are, are, is this team for real? Now, there are guys that they can pick up here in the month of July that are making their decisions here in the next few weeks that 
you know, could add on to their number and, and continue this run of like really good players coming on board. I don't expect Auburn to like run wild in July. I don't really expect Auburn to like hit a super hot streak. I think, you know, hitting some of these, hitting some of these big hitters like Carmelo English and Jeremiah Cobb were what you need, get a decent foundation to them. And then when more and more people are buying in to what you're selling and more and more high school players are making their decisions, they're making their fall visits, they're doing all that stuff. Those are the type of players that guys are going to want to play with. They're going to want to play with Carmelo English and, and Jeremiah Cobb. They're going to want to play with Terrence Love and uh, Braden Joyner. They're, I mean, those are really, really good football players. So, to me, it's like I would expect Auburn to get, you know, a few more maybe in July at best. But, like, if they don't go on – if they don't just catch fire the rest of the way, I, I'm not surprised. They had a chance to get Keldrick Falk from Highland Home. I'm disappointed just because – um, it would have been cool to have a <laughs> cover a dude from Highland Home as somebody who used to drive by that stadium and that big old plane all the time. And it's really cool to see a 1A kid from the Wiregrass like, be a top 100 player. He went old school with his decision, apparently, reportedly uh, from another places. Didn't really tell any coaching staff beforehand he, until he made the decision. All four schools that were finalists for him thought they had it going into the last day, thought they had a chance. He ends up going to Florida State, right? So... That's a miss. You're gonna miss some more. Like you, when you when you recruit high, I guess that's the other thing with this staff that that uh, that I think can kind of um, doesn't get talked about as much is that they're not just getting dudes just to get dudes, right? Like if 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 they if they could go out and get a bunch of three star guys that are just so grateful that Auburn is talking to them because it's Auburn. The, you know, the guys they've gotten gone out and gotten right now could have played at Clemson, could have played at Georgia, could have played at Michigan, could have played at, you know, all these other schools. Um, and they're they're coming to Auburn, or at least they're committed to Auburn right now. So uh, that, that has to be said for something. Like, they're, they're prioritizing fit, and they're not overextending. I think there's this push right now where people want to say, we got to have more numbers. Look, the class is in the 60s right now. It's like, well, all, all that really matters is what happens in December where you're at in December and if you can help that out a little bit in February. Still a lot of, a lot of ball game left to play here on the recruiting trail. The ebb and flow of the season is going to be fun. I, I it's think gonna we can delve coaster. into that more on a different episode, but Cause like the first five one, games are yeah. fascinating. Like they're all I at can, home. I can convince myself, you know, if you can get revenge on Penn state and you can just not trip up against Missouri and then you hold serve against LSU, you're five and oh, you're feeling good. The blueprint suddenly doesn't look so bad. Of course, Auburn six and two last season, and then we know what happens. So, uh, and of course, there may be no scenario in which Auburn starts five and zero. So, what that looks like in recruiting, I yeah, I don't really want to find out. A year one is a year one where you're changing so much, and it was coming off the COVID year, and you're looking at it like, okay, well, let's see how it goes. This year, it's just going to be like, I, again, you don't want to overemphasize every game. You know, and, and Auburn gets that rep for, you know, living and dying off of off of what's happening at the moment, you know, with the Gus Malzahn era and just the tenor of the fan base during that time. And I think a good bit of that was justified, um, you know, in terms of the perception, uh, not the not the fire Gus, keep Gus back and forth that went on for forever. Um, but I will say, yeah, it's going to like every game once you get to Penn State and beyond, it's just going to be like, oh, this is going to feel like it's a lot, right? And well, and people don't change their minds very often, which means like Brian, Har- you know, if you're out on Brian Harson, it's going to take it's a lot. Gonna to get take you back a on. lot. 
yeah. to change your mind on that. And if you're in on Brian Harson, you're going, why would we only give someone two years? That's a bad look. What coach would want to come here if, they, if he only gets a season or, a, or two seasons to do whatever it is necessary? So the, the, the ability to change the fan base's mind. I'd, uh, Not the same situation at all. Hear me say that. But, like, we just watched, you know, I, I talk about Michigan State a lot and, like, what Mel Tucker did in his year two and how, like, that could be a really good blueprint for what Auburn at its best-case scenario could be this year. Um, but, like, let's talk about their main rival, Michigan. Like, everybody thought Jim Harbaugh was a dead man walking in the last year. Very different situation. You know, obviously, they go to the playoff, right? You know, so it's like you can't buy people back. You know, you yeah, can't I guess, get people back. I guess board. I shouldn't sell the complexity of it too much. It's really just win, baby. Just win, baby. That's it. That's it. Speaking of winning, uh, how about Jabari Smith uh, taking it to the uh, the Houston Astros mascot? <laughs> such a good, such a good moment. Uh, that's funny. Yeah, there's a lot of talk about Cam Newton not caring about Auburn and Suni Lee not caring about Auburn and Jabari Smith not care about Auburn, and it's like I don't know. I guess I'll just listen to you person online yeah. you seem to know all three of them very well yeah they keep I'll... talking about auburn everywhere they go but nonetheless i'm gonna i'm gonna trust you sir yeah i'm gonna trust you sir or madam who just have this unhealthy obsession with tweeting about auburn folks to get attention i mean, yeah, I mean it's, you're sitting me up pretty... here i saw an arkansas fan look it's just one schmuck online it doesn't matter but they did <laughs> a tiering system of SEC football teams and right underneath Georgia and Alabama was Arkansas. And I was like, "Dude, Arkansas what is going are... on? Your brains are so broken. Arkansas fans are amazing, man. Like they are, they just are like their basketball, Kudos. their basketball fan base, you know, they can be justified in the fact that they've yeah. been really good. Um, you know, for the last and couple of years, history there. they got an awesome recruiting class. There's definitely, you know, history there. Their bat, their football team though. <laughs> Uh, I mean, they should I mean, be it's better, like, by the way, like with all that money they supposedly have. True, but also it's like the state of Arkansas has had like two five stars yeah. in my lifetime. Right. Right. So it's like. How how, how much are you going to clean up on in-state recruiting? And did those guys go to Arkansas or did they go to like Texas, by the way? Right. Do you know where they went? Did they even end up staying in-state in those uh, instances? Sosa and went to Arkansas, and I think the other one is Darren McFadden. So, yeah, they did stay, but okay, like. fair enough. They did stay, but it's also like, you know, you get that. You get that. Your your best years were, you know, a deeply disliked coach and human being um, had you had you rolling for a little bit. And uh, that's it. That's it. That's kind of it. Now, I will say, Sam Pittman and the way he runs that program and the way he built that program and taking on that kind of identity, nothing but positive things to say about that. I know Auburn's had a good – little track record against Arkansas here recently against Pittman, but I think it's just because Auburn just has better football players than they do on average. But, like, they're doing it the right way. Um, I think that Shane Beamer could be on the verge of doing it the right way at South Carolina. But, you know, it's it, you still you, – you are who you are, right? And college football is not a sport that has a ton of upward mobility, especially compared to – um, the other college sports, uh, like like baseball and basketball. Um, and, but, yeah, Arkansas fans are like, they beat Texas last year, man, and they thought they were like, this was it. They've got it. Like, they beat Texas 
They beat A&M, if I remember correctly, right? Like, last year they did beat A&M. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... no, it was the, the, the first half of the season for them was excellent. And them getting to nine wins is no small feat. Like, Pittman is the opposite of the Arkansas fan base in that he is both likable and reasonable. Yeah, so they beat A&M, then they get thumped by Georgia. thirty-seven. I mean, whatever. They lose that wild shootout to Ole Miss, 52-51. Auburn comes there and beats them. They beat Pine Bluff. They scraped by Mississippi State. They yeah, beat Mississippi State and LSU both by field goal. They give Alabama a really good run for their money. They beat Missouri. They beat Penn State. Like, it was a good year for them. It was a really good year. Nine wins at a school like I'm Arkansas. Holding, I'm, I'm holding my I'm holding my Athlon college football preview. <laughs> I talk, we talked about this a while back, and I didn't actually go out and do it until today, recording this on Wednesday uh, evening. Um I actually got it. I got it from Publix. I love I love that that's a thing you can do. But, uh, yeah, they have Arkansas picked to finish, uh, I think it's like third in the West and go eight and four. It's like, yeah. that. Which, if you are an that's Arkansas good. fan and have been an Arkansas but they fan think, for – But they think, they, they think they can win 10 or 11 games. Yeah, yeah no. I, be thrilled with that. If you are my age and you are an Arkansas fan – you have had, what, one, maybe two seasons to get really jacked up about? The idea of winning eight or nine games to them should be an exciting one. I don't know why they think that the SEC West title is in grasp. Yeah, and it's like, you know, winning eight or nine games this year at Auburn would be fantastic, right? But Auburn can say, well, we've we've won this conference a few times. We've won this division a few times here recently. Um We've beaten the we've beaten the top dog. Like when was the last time Arkansas beat Alabama? Do we know that one? <laughs> I don't know off the top of my head. One. And I guess I should be careful. Like I've seen some Arkansas fans saying things that I would think are objectively insane, but that's not necessarily representative of the entire fan base's perception on what this year will become. Alabama has won fourteen straight against Arkansas. <laughs> the last win in the series. Actually, Alabama vacated those seven, so technically it's 15 straight. Well, like, we're still owning them, and we've gone through a coaching change. Yeah. Alabama Alabama last lost to Arkansas in 2006. Like, if there's, if there's two schools that I genuinely cannot take seriously, it is Arkansas and, and Ole Miss in football because— Do you know what happened or in 2000— excuse 2000- me, Mississippi State, my You know apologies. what happened in 2006 at Alabama? What happened? That was the last year— before they had Nick Saban. No, well, that checks Shula's out. Shula's final it? year. Um, it's like, <laughs> that. literally, you've never beaten Nick Saban. Yeah, if you're if you're driving right now, you certainly don't. If you're a 16-year-old Arkansas fan, you have no recollection of that. I guess a bit of a Freudian slip by me saying Ole Miss. I don't really have any beef with Ole Miss football. But Mississippi State, I don't know what's going on. You guys kind of chirping a lot this year. Well, That's there's weird. This- there's this thought process that was like, yeah, and state, uh, the state's chirping is interesting to me because it's like, like Mike Leach, you're only going to be so good with Mike Leach as your head coach. There's a lot of body of work that will show you that you you hit a ceiling when that guy, yeah. even when he's having a good year, you hit a real ceiling. But there's this, also this thought process, and it's pretty prevalent where it's like, oh, that's the best Mississippi State can hope to be. And it's like, I don't think so. Do, do you not remember that State was the number one team in the country the first time the playoff committee rankings came out? Do you not remember them going to the Orange Bowl? Do you not? Like, again, 
they have a chance, I think, to be like a less. The, to me, state is like a in the modern era, well, in the modern, in, you know, the recent area. I guess under Mullen, it was like they're very much kind of like a a lesser talented version of Auburn, where it's like, man, if they get you, they can get you, and they can yeah, pick pull, your spots really like once year. every four years. You but know, it can also you... bottom out quick because right. you know your your talent your talent level is not not at that point. But like state. Like I guess, man. When was the last time State beat Alabama? Um, by the way, uh, the scores from the Arkansas Alabama series since Saban's been there: forty-one thirty-eight, forty-nine fourteen, thirty-five-seven, twenty-four twenty, thirty-eight fourteen, fifty-two nothing, fifty-two nothing, fourteen thirteen, twenty-seven fourteen, forty-nine thirty, forty-one nine, sixty-five thirty-one, forty-eight seven, fifty-two three, and then last year forty-two thirty-five. So they've, uh, they've had a they've had a few years where they've come close and like heck they came, they they put up a really good fight last year but uh, no all right Alabama Mississippi State series let's look at that one because um, that's a I don't want to call that a rivalry we talked about like how um, Alabama um, you know how Auburn like that third rivalry game they could play it's like they technically played State more than any of those other teams I mean isn't it surprisingly close. State. You know, yeah, Tuscaloosa to Starkville is not a long drive. It's very close, yeah. Um, yeah, 90 miles apart. Uh, it's the closest between any two schools in the SEC. It may be a rivalry for the Mississippi State 2007. fans. 2007. <laughs> I don't know how much it is for 2007, the, the last time Mississippi State. So, like, yeah. It's like, once Saban got it going, it, and they have they've lost by a touchdown once. They lost by five another time. And then the rest is just, like, just bludgeoning. Um, so... I mean, at least this is where Auburn can put their arm around Ole Miss and say, hey, we both got them a couple times, huh? Like, like <laughs> Arkansas Mississippi State can't say that. And Unless you can I'm say a, that, you know. While, while I'm can on say a, that. a roll with SEC West teams, like I'm still waiting for Ole Miss. I think Lane Kiffin will give us one good year at Ole Miss that matches his second season at FAU, which is to say we'll just completely bottom out. Um, that may be this year. It may be the last year he's there. That could also be this year for all I know. But I guess my point is this. I expect him, because right now they're singing all the Lane Kiffin praises, and I get it. It was an exciting offense. He's not going to stay there. Right, 100%. So whether or not they randomly have a little interlude like he did at FAU where they just dip and then they pick it back up the next year, or if it all just comes apart and he's like, you know what, I'm leaving for... Fill in the blank because God knows what that man will do. The Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, <laughs> some late. Yeah. So Kiffin. So Kiffin has had one, two, three. He's had four 10 win seasons ever. Okay. In his coaching career. He went 10 and two in 2011 at USC. Won the Pac-12 South. And then immediately the next year went seven and six and then got fired in 2013. In the middle of the year. As you said, FAU, he comes out guns blazing. 11 and 3, then goes 5 and 7 the next year, then picks it back up and goes 10 and 3. First year at Ole Miss, 5 and 5. Last year at Ole Miss, 10 and 3. Could the great drop off happen this year? I don't know. I think they're I think they're a little too talented, but they changed a ton of their I think they they have a lot of turnover on their their uh offensive staff and defensive staff for that matter. Um let's see. Just gonna give Athlon a shout out here. Athlon has Ole Miss projected da, 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 eight and four. I feel like everybody's gonna be projected to go eight and four in the SEC West this year. Um, and just figure out how that that works out. They play Troy, Central Arkansas, Georgia Tech, Tulsa in the first month of the season. Should be four and zero. Right. Um, 
Kentucky, Vanderbilt, they get those out of the way. And then Auburn, LSU, A&M, Alabama, Arkansas, Mississippi State. Yeah, they're probably 8-4. and four. If they bottom out with that schedule, that non-conference schedule is so easy that they probably don't bottom out. But, man, if they did, oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, I'm not predicting when it'll be. I just think he's good for it. I just, yeah, and I, and I think everybody just knows he doesn't want to be there forever. Well, I think you, and you're hardly the only person to point this out, but I believe you've definitely said it to me. He is not recruiting in a way that would make you believe he's going to be there for the just long haul. leaning on the transfer portal. It's like, wow, he's doing a great job of leaning on the transfer portal. And it's like, we all remember when Hugh Freeze signed really, really good classes at Ole Miss, right? You know, and it's like, you may say, yeah, but they were cheating during then. And I'm like, okay, and? I mean, this era right now, if you want to talk big about NIL and you want to talk big about how, you know, how fun you are and how good you are for the for the players, like, this could, this should be the time where you're just, like, flexing on everybody, right? Yeah, I don't understand why Texas A&M, with all the money that they have, have taken the virtuous route and instead are not just like, we have so much money that we have idiots who will just give it away. That is what I would do. It is the least fun version of having money that there is, which is just to act like you. And there's been a lot that has been said about, like, um, there's a lot that's been said about Auburn not going that route and like they'll use NIL and they'll, you know, the collectives and all that and raise money and all, but it's like, and they don't want to be flashy about it. It's like, I think there's something to be said of that because you're Auburn and it's like your, your history with the NCAA, even if the NCAA is a sham organization that should be uh, obliterated tomorrow, like they're going to make an example out of someone. You're a great candidate. You You are are a good candidate. This is a good candidate. Apparently North Carolina and Alabama for some reasons are not good. Uh, people to make examples out of i don't know how or why that would happen nope so anyway anyway and that uh, all stemmed from jabari smith throwing out the first pitch and absolutely letting you know that he doesn't like auburn that's why you listen to this podcast folks uh we appreciate again nicole jumping on with us thank you guys for listening thank you guys for subscribing tell your friends tell your family um you can uh you subscribe at the Auburn Observer. Tell them they can get a free trial and all that. Give gift subscriptions. We're doing really well. I think there was a, there was a stretcher in the summer where I was like, man, people really aren't uh, really aren't aren't staying plugged in. This could be a, this could be a rough summer. But shout out to you guys. You have uh, done uh, a, a lot of uh, a lot of help and and uh, spreading the good word and and telling folks about us and and uh, we really appreciate all your help. We got some stuff coming up as we get closer to football season. That we're excited about. Uh, I got some plans in the works for some things, podcast related, newsletter related, non podcast, non newsletter related, podcast related. Yeah, um, I'm looking at I'm looking at a, a Cracker Barrel ad right here. Oh, really Karen would like that. Yeah, big big Cracker Barrel fan. Um, send in your uh, questions for the mailbag if you're listening to this on Thursday morning. You'll still have some time. You were uh, in the grocery store, me. but no hat. I was wearing this hat but it's not oh, a special okay. hat. It's not, okay. You say like you had a hat for grocery store trips, and it's like I don't have a designated one yet. I just, just whatever hat I'm wearing usually. Um, we'll be back over the weekend to talk about all the latest news and notes and whatnot uh, on, the, on the free podcast. But until then, thank you, and Painter is going to lead us out. Why were the 1972 Munich Olympic Games suspended for about 34 hours? Hostage situation? It doesn't have-